Hey, welcome to Conversations with Ben Dixon, where we discuss important topics through a biblical perspective. And our hope, of course, is to encourage and equip you. I want to thank you for tuning in. I also want to let you know where you can watch or listen to this podcast. Obviously, you are watching or listening at some point, but you might not know we have this in both audio and video. In video, you can go to YouTube and subscribe to Ignite Global Ministries. There's a playlist there that says Conversations with Ben Dixon. We're in season three right now. But you can also go to Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you see podcasts, and you can download those in audio form, and you can listen and share them with your friends and your family. And of course, if you forget everything I just said, just go to conversationswithbendixon.com, and you will find everything that you need to know there. Well, hey, we are jumping into part two of, uh, this is episode six of season three. It's part two of, a, of an actual conversation we were having probably about a month ago with me and Pastor Steve Shell. And if you don't know, Pastor Steve Shell was the lead pastor at Northwest Church for almost 30 years alongside his wife, Mary. He is the director of Life Lessons Publishing, author of many books, commentaries, He's a true mentor in my life, and I had the privilege of following him at Northwest as the lead pastor, and I just find it a great privilege to have him today on our show to talk again about Can Women Be Pastors? And before we jump in, Pastor Steve, how are you doing today? We're doing, we're, we're just fine, you know, we're in, we're in our, in retirement, but trying to stay, stay busy and somehow help what God is doing. So that's where the publishing and the writing and that kind of thing is coming in, is trying to get materials for pastors and make them available and get them translated in other languages, because when we say pastors, there's pastors all over the world. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're doing that. We're working with Foundations of Pentecostal Theology as well. Have that in nine languages now. Wow. We're going into the ninth language. Amazing what's happening, and there's tremendous need for it and desire for it. And so our, our hope, hope our, our motto is uh, getting seed to the sower. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to just, just put materials and access, particularly to the Bible, in the hands of pastors and help them teach uh, anybody who's teaching actually the Bible uh, anywhere in the world. We're just trying to, trying to help that happen. It's an important time, uh, the days we're living in, and we need to hear from the Bible afresh. And so that's, that's my sense of burden right now. Well, I... I- I like to rhyme a little bit, uh, not that I'm a rapper, and I won't bring it up on our podcast, but if we want revival, we got to go back to the Bible. What do you think about that rhyme? Do you like that? Oh, come on. <laughs> <There you Yes. go. laughs> it always helps me a little bit, but no, you, you're doing a tremendous job, and I, I want to encourage everybody watching, listening. I know many are going to know, of course, who Pastor Steve is, and if you're not sure about where to learn more about what he's doing, and be able to pick up those resources, you can go to Life Lessons Publishing. Uh, He has a website, and there's a newsletter there. I want to make sure everybody subscribes to that. Get on board with fueling and funding uh, this mission and ministry, because God is using it in powerful ways. And he just gave a summary of of what the Lord is doing. But Pastor Steve, we're really grateful for you. Thank you for uh, joining me again. Thank you also for committing for the next dozen uh, podcast conversations. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, we'll see what God does. But um, well, let me quickly go ahead and intro the topic of discussion and recap a little bit. And then we're going to just jump into 1 Corinthians 14 in a second here with Pastor Steve. But we're talking about what does the Bible say about women 
pastors or women elders or women in leadership. And this is a, a debate, a theological debate in various camps of Christianity, and we've already talked about how there are two primary theological views concerning women pastors, elders, leaders. There's a lot of addendums, and when you look at um, the two primary views, we, we are acknowledging that it's hard to label everybody's perspective. And so there's complementarianism. Complementarianism would be that the Bible teaches that women are not usually allowed to be elders at all, or even pastors, where they would exercise authority over the church, uh, in the church, over men in the church, I should say. Some of them would allow for women to be deacons or to work with children, of course, as they would with the family. And so that's uh, a predominant view in a lot of evangelical circles, reform circles. Um, and then you have the second view on the other side of the spectrum, which is egalitarianism. This is where the Bible teaches that women can function in all roles of leadership according to their gifting, anointing, and character, biblical qualification. The passages that appear to be restrictive in nature toward women in leadership are contextual and therefore do not bind women to lesser roles as it pertains to the church. This is not saying women aren't distinct from men. It isn't saying that they don't have certain gifts, anointing, or by God's design, there aren't things in them that are fundamentally different from men. Of course, that would be the case. Um, we're not here to advocate complementarianism or egalitarianism. Clearly, we, there's a theological view that's being put forward from Pastor Steve and myself that is saying women can function in leadership, women can be pastors, but that doesn't mean that everyone that calls himself an egalitarianism um, is someone we agree with or whatever. We, we, I don't know what everybody believes out there. So our goal is not to advocate one over the other, but rather to say, let's just look at the Bible and let it speak for itself. And I know having Pastor Steve on this uh, in this podcast, that's his heart. That's what he does. That's what I'm trying to do. So we're teaming up together. And in part one, we talked about specifically scriptural perspective from Genesis to the New Covenant. God created men and women uh, in his likeness according to his image. Um, he breathed life into them, said, be fruitful and multiply. So men and women became one, partnered in marriage and covenant, go out into the world and um, have children. We talked a little bit about the fall. We talked about how the Old Testament seems to have a lot more men, obviously, and they are more involved in leadership roles and so on. So we had some things to say about that. But what we found is God doesn't have a displeasure towards women being um, having a role or being a prophetess or being a judge, as Deborah was, or being used of God, even if it wasn't the normative experience. Um, it seems that God was not displeased with that. And then in the New Covenant, it seems to kind of uh, catapult this conversation even further, where there's a highlight on women who are doing significant things in the Lord, prophesying and ministering and part of the cohort of disciples and planting churches as Lydia did alongside Paul. And it just seems like there's more emphasis in a very suppressed culture thousands of years ago, and it, there's an explosion, a revolution, so to speak, or at least an emphasis from the Bible about how women are being used more as the anointing of God comes upon them, according to Acts chapter 2, where this is clear. It says, in the last days, God says, I'll pour forth of my Spirit um, on all mankind, young and old, men and women, they shall prophesy. 
So Pastor Steve actually was sharing a bunch about how the New Covenant and this outpouring that happens in Acts 2 really inaugurates something fresh regarding the church and the mission of the church to bring forth what Jesus uh, began. And so what we didn't get to, and we are going to get to now, dun, 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 <laughs> sorry, I wanted to do that, is the what some call the problem Pauline passages, where we read about what, what initially looks like restrictions, limitations for women um, at all to be involved in any form of leadership, especially over men in the church. And I think it's important that we discuss this contextually, um, historically, if we can. And so the first one that I want to bring up, and I'm going to start kicking this to uh, Pastor Steve here, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 34 through 36. Now, I'm going to read this, and then, Steve, I'd like you to um, just start to comment on this, and we'll go back and forth. But here's what the Bible says. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church toward the end of his first letter. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says, if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Wow, I mean, that's, that's where people are going with that. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? This is what the Word of God says, and obviously, if we were to read it plainly there, and many do, without looking at the context, Paul wrote it, who's he writing it to, what's the situation, why did he say it, we could just say, well, there it is, case closed, Pastor Steve, case closed, women can't speak in the church. <laughs> I think our podcast is over, but we know that's not where it starts or stops. And so I'd like to kick it to you and just to give some of a contextual thoughts and, and speak to this. Thank you, Ben. Uh, <clears throat> I, I don't recall whether we, 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 we touched on it last time, um, but I, it, we did talk about the new covenant. We talked about how now in Christ, the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit has been given to men and women, young and old. That Jesus didn't come to simply, he didn't just, just, just come even and die on the cross. He came and inaugurated an entirely new era in which the Spirit could now be given from a few to all, from with to in, and from temporary to enduring. Mm. He, changed, he changed the landscape. Before and after, that's why he'll say, again, I'll, I'm just repeating myself, but mm -hmm. that's why I, he would say, um, greatest is in, in the Old Covenant, basically, is, is John the Baptist. He who's least in the kingdom, the thing I'm bringing, is greater than he. Right. What do you mean? How could that possibly be? The least is greater. The least now is, has an has enduring, uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is now inside them. I know there's all kinds of discussions on this. So we have this reality. And then Peter says, this has started. This has happened. So I just want to reset that. Mm -hmm. Because when we go along and say, well, Paul said it, you can't. Uh, Paul said that doesn't count. Not in his churches. Paul would be fundamentally disagreeing with Joel, as well as, okay, but, and then with Peter. We would have a real head knocking. We'd have an argument going in the in the New Testament. 
I have had I had a professor at at, at Fuller years ago when I, who actually thought Paul was schizophrenic. Hmm. <laughs> because you know, and, and and here's one of the places he would go is this Corinthians passage. Because in eleven, as I've shown you along the lines of this, he says now because of chapter eleven, remember this, eleven, twelve, thirteen, and fourteen are all talking about the gathered church. Mm-hmm. Paul has a mess in Corinth. Corinth was the most immoral, wild city in the ancient Mediterranean area. It was, it was a, it was, it was. They had a thousand temple prostitutes. It said mm. in the temple of Aphrodite there. <laughs> I mean, this is for the sailors all come. It's, it's, it was the drunken city. To be Corinthianized is to be a drunk. It's to be immoral. So he's walked into this rough and tumble place, and he's got this church founded. And then other people have come through and taught all kinds of stuff. He's got quite the pastoral issue. What's going on in his church? It's become chaotic. They put the poor outside and have the rich getting drunk on communion wine. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that? That's chapter 11. And, he, and he, Paul actually says, some of you are dead, dying because of this. I mean, we don't like to look at that, but he says it. He's, that's what he's talking about. He says, you, you have so violated the spirit and not regarded the body of Christ, not only in the communion, but the body of Christ as the people. You have been so calloused that, you are, that some of you are sick and dying as a result of mm. this. You're under judgment. And then they have going as Pentecostals, they've taken tongues. And this is what people keep jumping on when they want to judge tongues. Because Paul is having to rein this puppy in. He's saying to them, apparently they're all getting together and loud and long. And regardless of the fact that they have visitors or unbelievers present who don't have a clue what's going on, but are terrified by the noise. And the whole and the chaos that's going on are just roaring in tongues. So this church is doing stuff like that, and I think there's four major things Paul has to deal with that are disrupting those services. And his, you, you always go down to the what's the bottom line? What does he finally say he wants as a result of this? Verse forty, he says, "I want everything done." His mind says properly and in an orderly yeah. manner. Yeah. Manner basically, it's beautiful and in one by one. That's kind of what he's saying. I want everything done one by one, not everybody on top of each other, you know, talking all at once. And I want it done in a beautiful way because that's the heart and nature of God. And he says, do you realize nobody else is doing what you're doing? None of my other churches are doing this. You're the only crazies that are doing this stuff. Don't don't you say you're more spiritual. If, If what you were doing was of God, the other churches would be doing it too. They're not. You're alone in this thing. You, and so you listen to me. So he's, this is pastoral. It's corrective. Now, we learn a great deal from his correction. I mean, he's, he doesn't say, I don't want tongues. He says, I want it decently in an order. Mm-hmm. That's what he says. He doesn't throw out tongues. He, he orders it and brings it under pastoral control. One of the issues that's going on, because he has already said in chapter 11, when women prophesy or pray publicly in the gathered service, I want them to cover their head with a head cover. That's right. And we discussed that, I think. Yes. It, it was a sign of modesty, and it was a sign of, honestly, of, re- of respect for your husband. Now, they were saying, I'm free, and I don't have to do this, uh, and, and they were correct. They don't. 
but Paul was saying, look, we, we put aside our own rights in Christ. And I, I want you to, I want you to, to put, cover your head. Uh, you're just, you're disturbing the services. And here he's just said, so here, listen to him discipline this church. Mm-hmm. If anyone speaks in a tongue, I want two or three. I don't want, I don't want, you go two or three. And then I want them to interpret it. I don't want, I don't want a tongue, you know, a, a, a tongues event. You bring some messages in tongues and want them interpreted, two or three, that's done. Okay? He says, if there's no interpreter, just talk to your talk to the Lord quietly under your breath. I don't, I don't want you disrupting the service. Don't pull our eyes off of Christ mm. with, with, your, with your gifts. And then he says, if prophets speak, I want, I want, I want no more than two or three. I don't want, I don't want a prophet, uh, you know, prophet orama kind of thing where we're just <laughs> going, I said two or three. And then I, I want them. To, I want those tested. So if you stand up, we're not just taking everything you say. Listen, listen to him pastorally. Could uh, mm-hmm. pull him in. He's reining him in. Why? Not to get rid of the gifts, but to preserve them. Amen. So that the gifts aren't despised. When you get to Thessalonians, you'll see him at the very end of Thessalonians say, "Don't despise the, mm-hmm. the, the gifts of the Spirit." Why? Because mm-hmm. they were being stupid. And then prophecy was being misused, and people were getting disgusted with it. Mm-hmm. This is why, if pastors and, le- and le- leaders and, pa- and parents, if everybody won't won't do what Paul says, it's going to come apart. And so he's gone through tongues, he's gone through prophecy. He says, "I want everybody. You could all bring a gift each in turn. Psalm teaching a revelation, fine, but I want it one at a time, and I want it beautiful. God is a, that's the kind of God we serve." Beautiful and orderly, and it's powerful, but I don't want chaos in my in the, those services. Yeah. And then he gets down here. Uh, uh, the spirit of the prophet, subject of the prophet. So you can raise. Don't tell me God came over you and you couldn't stop yourself. Nonsense. Yes, you can. The spirit of the prophet, subject of the prophet. You, you hear the pastor going. <laughs> yep. Yep. God is not a god of confusion, but of peace. And then he picks up the next source of confusion. That's what's going on. He's already talked about women prophesying and praying in the service with their head covered. Right. So he's not tailing women, zip it women. That's not what's going on. Well, what is going on? Well, let's see. I want him to keep silent in the churches for, and, and, and the term he, he uses, uh, he's, 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 he's asking them uh, to pull in uh, what they're saying to, to not be argumentative is the, is the term. Uh, for they are not permitted to speak, but are subject to themselves, just as the law says. Now, there is no law that says women are subject to men. Go for it. Try to find one. There is none. Right. The only thing you can, you can point to is Adam and Eve, that a wife will honor her husband. And, and that's, so, so, so I think we have, and you need to know that women, the word women and, and men here can be husband and wife. So I, but I, it, so it, it wouldn't matter whether it was husband or wife, but he is. I think that's the issue because he says they're not permitted to speak, but to subject themselves, just as the law says, if they desire to learn anything, like to them, ask their own husbands at home. It's improper for a woman to speak in church. Well, clearly, it isn't improper for a woman to open her mouth and prophesy and pray. And what's she doing? As as I pointed out, there's there's all of this chaos going on in that church. And so he's 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 trying to get 
he's trying to get, I'll, I'll tell you in short, he's trying to bring side conversations. As you look at it, you clearly have women talking to their husbands. They may have, they may have been separated, though the Jewish synagogues did not necessarily at all separate at that time, mm-hmm. men and women. But they may have been, I don't know if that they were separated, but they're talking. So here's what I would say. I'm just going to read a little something. Paul wanted order and peace restored. Just as I've said, there's all this tongue talking. They have the poor stuffed outside, and the, and they, the, the wealthy are eating the food, the bread, and the getting drunk on the wine. This kind of environment. Mm-hmm. He wanted peace in order to restore it. And having just dealt with a chaotic way, they were speaking in tongues. He moves to another aspect of their gathering that was producing noisy disorder. Some sort of disruptive conversations were being held primarily between wives and husbands. In this verse, Paul literally says, let the women or wives in the gathering be quiet, for it is not permitted for them to speak, but let them submit just as the law also says. And then he adds, but if they wish to learn anything, let them question their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman or a wife to speak in church. Clearly, from from certain women, there must have been either a constant flow of questions or disrespectful challenges about things that had been said. Mm Paul's concern is focused on the disrespect that was being shown. And that disrespect must have been primarily between wives and husbands because his statement about being submitted, as the law says, does not apply to women in general. Mm -hmm. There is no law that says women are submitted to men, only that wives are to submit to their husbands. And as the only passage in the law of Moses which could be referred to in this matter is the creation account he drew on earlier in 1 Corinthians 11, 3, 8, and 9. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think they were intended as pastoral correction meant to quiet down disruptive side conversations or disrespectful ex- exchanges between wives and husbands. As his admonition of wives in the gathering be quiet was not meant to censor women who were ministering properly in the services. Mm. He wasn't imposing a new law that prohibits women from ministering in the Holy Spirit as the, as the Holy Spirit leads them. He was bringing order, not bondage. Mm-hmm. But sadly, these verses are taken out of context, ignoring the fact that Paul has already acknowledged the possibility of women praying and prophesying in church services. Mm-hmm. When they can be used to for, then they can be used to forbid women to minister or participate in the spoken gifts of any type when, when men are present. So they've taken it out of context. It has to be. Or, as I said earlier, and I, I mean, I don't even like to say this. If you look at it, Paul is saying one thing out of one, one, one moment. Women, why don't you cover your head when you prophesy and pray in service? Because that's what the context is, absolutely. And then now he says, I I don't want you to say a word. So I've had people say accuse him of being schizophrenic. I've had accuse him, you know, it just all kinds of silly things get said. Mm -hmm. But you have to look at it and say, wait a minute, there has to be a pastoral context. Now, let me say something to that. There's a lot of what I would call sophistry that's being done in the church today, it always has been actually, in which people use false knowledge. They, they come along and they say, I'm a, I've learned this stuff scholastically and I know all these truths. And here's what the Greek really says or here's what the Hebrew really says, you know, all of that kind of thing. And then they take and twist the clear meaning of the scripture. Mm-hmm. And they they want you to trust their their um, their sophistication, their, their background, their knowledge. I'm not trying, I, with all my heart, I am not doing that. Um, I, I hate that. 
But you have to look at this if you're just going through and saying, I really want to know what does Paul saying? Mm-hmm. And I, he's not crazy. In fact, he's anything but crazy. He's brilliant. He is, he is consistent. He truly understands the new covenant better than we do and ministered it more effectively than any of us mm-hmm. all put together. <laughs> um, had women everywhere ministering so he's not a bigot. He's not a misogynist. We aren't dealing with that kind of thing. Then what is he doing? And let, let's, I'm going to just say this really delicately. When I say it's not sophistry, there is a point where we have to look at certain passages pastorally mm-hmm. and say, what was the context? Because on face value, we can't just take that. May I, may I just mention one? Slaves. Honor your masters. I don't hear that preached a lot. It was for a couple, several hundred years in America and used to, 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 to beat people back into submission. Now, somebody you say, well, that's what the word says. Well, yes, but if, only if you snip it out of its context. Right. If you read where Hepsi sells other places, he clearly is against it. And what's he doing then? Well, he's trying to he's trying to help people who are trapped in a Roman system, and if they if they have a revolution, they're going to be killed in horrible ways. So he's not Spartacus. He's not inviting trying to have a slave uprising. He's trying to deal with with men and women who are trapped in a in an in evil institution, and trying to say, okay, and here's how you're going to have to live your faith out. Mm-hmm. I want you to live as an example of Christ. I want you to be free people inside. Even if you're if you're enslaved outward, mm-hmm. I want you to I want you to live your do what you do unto Christ and glorify Him in everything you do. What am, am I? So I know that's what Paul means. So I'm taking it pastorally and looking and say. So when he says this, you know, slaves honor your masters. He's not endorsing slavery. He's not trying to say get back in the box. He, he's trying to help them ma- manage a horrible situation. That's right. Now that they're Christians. And he's not saying to women, after having said to them earlier, because Galatians in the early, early, very early writing. I mean, he went Galatians, and that's the letters early. So when he says there's no, there is now no Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female, that's an early statement. That's not a late statement from Paul. Mm-hmm. That's not something he came to. That's where he started. Mm-hmm. He, he believed that right up front. So that man doesn't come along here and talk out of the other side of his mouth. He's not schizophrenic. Right. He can't be. You have to look at things pastorally. The best mm-hmm. theologians in history have always been pastors. They were the people who had to, had, to, had to work with people and had to teach the word and figure out how do we really live this. And Paul's a pastor. And he's right. pastoring his flock. And so some of us who've been pastors can look at that going, yeah, I, we can understand he's having to deal with stuff. So uh, you're not being, so, it's not sophistry mm-hmm. to say that's got to be pastoral. He can't say in Galatians, he can't say in Corinthians 11, he can't, he can't, he can't be, be endorsing all that he says in, in Romans about the Holy Spirit and dwelling us. And then say, oh, and by the way, half of the gen- half of the human race, zip it. I don't want to hear from you in any services. W- would we ever argue? I don't want I don't want Greeks to speak in my churches. Only Jews. 
I mean, you're all weak, equal now. Understand that. You're all one in Christ. Hallelujah. But don't say anything. You can't minister. You can't pastor. And slaves, you just sit in the back. We're, you know, you're, you're, you're all, we're all uh, grounds level at the cross, but you sit in the back and I don't want to hear from you. Right. I only want to hear from the, the free people. Those are the other categories he lists. We'd never say that, would we? We no, would say we that's ghastly. And, but we sure will with male and female. I'll, I'll stop. I'm on, no, I, I love, I, I, I love it. And I moved into a little passion there. I, I, I think, I think it's necessary. In fact, Pastor Steve, as you were talking about um, how we would read this pastorally, because it is a pastoral epistle, it is Paul ministering to the Corinthian church. There are problems and issues and difficulties that didn't start with verse 34. It starts far before that. But what we know um, is when you're dealing with a contextual passage, as you were sharing this, what came to my mind, and I started kind of reading this as you were talking, was the women are to keep silent in the churches. Some people say this means all women are to keep silent in the churches. But when you read it contextually, actually, it's those women, the women. We're to, he's, uh, he's speaking to a very specific situation and a very specific group of people. So that when Paul said to the Corinthian church, the women, they knew who the women were. He wasn't meaning all women. Even in 2022, every single woman, my 16-year-old daughter and my 45-year-old wife, and every woman that goes to Northwest Church, but that's how people read it. They, they don't read it contextual. They don't step back and ask the questions. And for some reason, we've made this the issue, but we're not arguing for the other ones, and that's the point that you're making. So I, here's how some people will read this passage, verse 34. All women are to keep silent in every church. I'm, I'm exaggerating here. This is called the exaggerative version. This is the... <laughs> All women are to keep silent in every church for every generation, for they are never permitted to speak. I mean, if you're going to believe that, you might as well take it to its logical conclusion. You better silence every woman in every context in every church ever. I mean, that, and they, that has not happened. But are to subject themselves, just as the law also says, if they desire to learn anything at all, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman, any woman to ever speak in church. I mean, I'm just trying to read, like, if you're on that side, you, you, you have to read it that way. They're reading all, every, at all times rather than the women, those women, this situation, this is the way that you need to handle what you're doing in that specific uh, context. So I just, it, it just even makes more sense. If I could say it that way, Pastor Steve, it just seems to make more sense to look at this contextually um, and understand that Paul is pastorally dealing with these. So I love that. Now, you know what we have to do, though? You, yep. you know it and I do. We got to jump. I know where you're going. We, Because <laughs> if this were the only one, we would be case closed, virtually high-fiving each other. Amen. Because <laughs> it's helpful. You know, it, it, it's helpful. And actually, I wrote a book called Prophesy. And in that book, I deal with 1 Corinthians 14, because when I was teaching people how to prophesy, a lot of times what people would say to me is, because uh, whenever you teach the how, which Scripture doesn't share, uh, that's where you kind of get into trouble with people theologically, because even though they don't prophesy or have a context for which they do this, 
they'll say, well, this, you know, the scriptures don't teach that. And I would say, right, the orthopraxy isn't always taught on certain things pertaining to gifts of the Spirit and otherwise. Uh, so you can get in trouble there. But they would say things like, you know, you can only have one or two people speak in church. I would have these meetings where I was teaching people how to prophesy. And they were like, hey, we've already had two prophecies, you know? And, uh, that's, and I was like, wait a minute. Paul wasn't saying every church, every person, every scenario, there only needs to be two or three prophecies, and this is the only way it's ever done. He was correcting the way they were doing it. He wasn't saying this is the only way to have prophecy done. Some of my meetings, I'm teaching people for the first time in their life how to prophesy, so maybe there was 20 prophetic words, but it was decent and in order. It was explained and instructed so that people could learn how to do something. There's a difference between pruning a tree and planting one and watering it so that it grows. We Paul's pruning a tree, we're trying to plant one, so it's going to look a bit different, and that's really where he's pastoring. And so these contexts, it's not that principles can't come from that, it's not that this isn't the Word of the living God and inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's that we, context matters and all of that. So now we're jumping See, Steve, I had to throw a little bit in there, you know. And now we're jumping to no, first— No, I think that was—I'm re- really glad you did. I'm really glad you did, because I was pointing out that he's pulling it in, but you you, you brought out the right right principle. That was very important. Thanks, Ben, for doing that. Well, because, you know, Paul wrote 13 letters, and I used to talk to people about this. I say it in my book, but, but uh, in Thessalonians, he tells them to not quench the Spirit and despise not prophesying. But then in— in Corinthians, he says to them, have two or three prophesy, and the others will weigh what's being said decently and in order. So you got one church that's done with prophecy, and he says, don't despise it. He would rather them start, have a little wildfire, and then no fire. Well, I'd probably not, but he's saying, you guys are despising it. You don't want to have anything to do with it. Stop quenching the Holy Spirit. To them, he's saying, you guys are mishandling this. So you, I need to tone this down and prune it back. We need to replant this and help you fan into flame the gifts of God at Thessalonica, and we need to prune this back here over in Corinth. What's the difference? Paul's not mistaken. He's speaking to this church one way, he's speaking to this church another. The point is to have healthy prophecy. That's the point. And the same is true with the conversation about women. The point is to have a healthy gathering. So the women, those women, he's saying, this is something that is happening with some of the married women. And so this is what I'm recommending that you do. This is what you need to do so there's no disruption. And I think people, again, your point is just well stated. If we forget these are pastoral epistles to specific churches where there's a context that needs to be understood, then we're going to read all women in every place at any time and no church, I don't care what they say, follow that to a T as much as they're trying to be biblically correct. And so that's why it's so important to take these steps back. But I have found that even more so, if people won't go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 or 11 and bring that, let's call it an argument, up for women not ever speaking, teaching, leading in church— we will go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9 through 15. Now, let me go ahead and read that this, and I would like you to help us set the stage again. I just think this is even a, a passage that's more brought up in this context, and here's what it says. Paul's, uh, Paul speaking to Timothy, "'Likewise, I want women 
to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair. <laughs> I want to stop there, but I won't. <laughs> and gold or pearls <laughs> are costly. My wife had braided hair today, so it's just funny. Uh, gold, pearls, costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman was deceived, fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint." Well, Pastor Steve, it sure sounds like a woman can't teach or exercise authority over a man in the church context ever, and she can only learn from her husband. If I'm reading this properly, so why don't you help me set the stage for this to understand it better? All right. Th this is, again, you either have Paul being schizophrenic and saying in one place, no male or female now, we're all one in Christ, uh, you know, we've all, and then we've been joined to Christ, we inherit everything in Christ, so, uh, and, and all are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and discernment and wisdom, all of those gifts are given to all. Or we have someone who says that one point, and now turns around and says, actually, women are rather gullible, because that's, that's the argument here. If you look at it, mm -hmm. um, I don't allow women to teach. For Adam was first created, and then Eve. So there's an order there, uh, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So the implication from this is women are then a vulnerable uh, gender. They are they can be deceived more easily than men, um, and so we really shouldn't have them t them teaching um, or exercising. Though oddly, it, I mean, the, the, our inability to, 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 for a group to follow through on this logic, if women were deceivable and, and very gullible, why on earth do we, do we fill our Sunday schools with them and have them teach our children? I mean, it makes no sense at all. You would think of all the people you would not put in with the children, it would be the women. <laughs> Because those poor, poor, those poor women are, are you know, they, 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 they're, they're, they're deceivable. And so here we have these deceivable women teaching our kids. It's, it, and what, no one follows through on that logic. None. We send missionaries, women, the 60 to 70 percent of the American, of the North American mission force is, has been women yeah. over the years, all over the earth. Um, we'll send them elsewhere. And we, they will start churches. They will raise up thousands and thousands of disciples and some of these women have to, uh, i mean you talk about lillian trash or lillian dixon uh gladys aylward just for heaven's sakes so they've taught and taught raise up schools and and changed whole nations but apparently they're we we take this so again we're back to this thing where Either Paul's talking out of both sides of his mouth that he can't seem to stay consistent. He can say one thing at one point and another thing at another. Mm -hmm. Or he said this invented. Now, let me point out something. He wrote Timothy, the, this letter to Timothy and to Titus, 15 years after he wrote his letter to Galatians. 15. So had, are we saying 
he's changed his mind, which that has all kinds of implications, may I say, for the authority of Scripture mm -hmm. and inspiration of Scripture. So he says to, to he says one thing to, to the to the to the to the Galatians. He says, "No male or female. No. Here we go. Brand new change. That, which, by the way, is completely consistent with the whole new covenant of what Christ has done." And then he suddenly turns around and says says this. So what you have to do with this passage, because there there this is where you really do have to look at the Greek and at the language that's being used here. Like that. If, give me. I'm going to actually pull my my Greek. Um, it's the, the the word he's using. He says, I want a woman, and he uses a word. He says, I want a woman to learn in silence in in all um, sub subjection. Um, the words for silence, it's uh, hesukia. It, there are a number of words. There's one that means muzzle, there's one that means absolute silence, don't, don't speak, and there's this. This word is used a lot in the news, but it's always used for don't argue or or contention. And so he's 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 he, his point is I don't want I don't want contentious arguments. Mm -hmm. And he's talking to Timothy. So that's who's this letter is a letter to Timothy. I, I'm sure he knew it would be distributed, but he's coaching his disciple. Mm. He has left Ephesus. He was the pastor there, and did I? And I, 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 I'll just remind you: it's a very, very difficult place we are. It's this hugely wealthy, powerful city with this enormous temple to the goddess uh, uh, Artemis mm -hmm. and, or Diana, who is the goddess of fertility. So we know where that all goes. And it has 127 columns, and it's 60 feet that are 60 feet high. It's the largest temple in in the ancient world at that point. Um, so you've got that. You've got it's the center. It's the beginning of uh, Gnosticism is is located in in Ephesus. So you've got false teachers. You already have them. You can hear him dealing with early forms of distortion going on. So he's coaching his guy. He's coaching Timothy, and he's he's saying. Um, apparently, you, what you have is a is a group of women who are who are challenging Timothy. Timothy's a young guy. Timothy is is half Jewish, half Greek. Um, he's he's uh, didn't have a father around. Apparently, Paul and and uh, Barnabas take him under their wing and 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 more or less train him. They see the great spirit in him. But he's insecure. You, you, you'll watch him. Paul, Paul will open in, in, in 2 Timothy. And, you know, he's, Timothy's got, stopped preaching. He's just pulled in entirely. He says, I, you've got to stir up the gift that was put in you by the laying on of hands. Come on now. He says, I want you to stand up, speak the word. So he's trying to get Timothy back in the saddle. Right. So we've got a situation that appears here as you, as you look at it. That you have a group of women who are who are are, are attacking him, criticizing him, and apparently mm -hmm. talking down to him. They're being contentious. Mm. In fact, it will go on to say, um, I, "There," he says, "I don't want you to to uh, to learn in hisukia. This is non-contentiousness, not not absolute silence, but in in a, in, a, in a with passivity, you might say, or or receptive receptivity would be the better word." 
but to teach, uh, I don't permit a woman to teach nor exercise. And then he uses a word that's un authentic, and, and it's from autos, which is self. So he says, I don't want a self-taken authority. Right. What, what do we call that? Uh, sort of autocratic? Um, it's a, it's where you where you make yourself an authority. He says, I don't want you to teach out of that. I don't want you, I don't want that. He by he wouldn't want a man doing it either, by the way. But to be to but to be in Heisuki again, in this um, this this submitted uh, learning position, and then he talks about Adam and Eve. Now, where does that come in? Here's what I think I'm I'm seeing. We have a situation where Paul is the apostle, and Paul says this is the gospel. Now, that gospel of Paul's was being challenged. That's what we're fighting over here. I'm pretty right. sure. This is, a, this is a, an issue about saying, because the, the Greek world did not, did not like this idea of a physical resurrection. They felt that the physical world was evil. Why would we come back into it? Um, but God actually didn't create the world uh, because he wouldn't create evil. Uh, this, I mean, this is the, the Gnostic thing that came out, of, and, and Ephesus was a center for it. And, and so you've got these kinds of teachings going on. So they're challenging what Timothy's preaching. And Paul says, he com starts comparing the situation to Adam and Eve. Well, how would, it, how would it compare to Adam and Eve? Well, if you go and you look at Genesis uh, 3, and 2 and 3, you look at the situation literally. What, what does the Bible actually say? It says that God said to Adam, of all the trees you may eat, but not the one in the center of the garden. And he said it to Adam, and this is before Eve was formed. So you have, you have Adam hearing the word of the Lord. Now, could God have said it to Eve too? That's Maybe, but I will say scripturally, it's not there. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think Paul is looking at this quite literally. So here, he's here. God speaks the word to Adam, and Adam has to tell Eve, "No, we're not supposed to eat from that tree." So Eve is in a different position than Adam. Adam heard it directly. Eve has to trust her husband's report that what he says God said is true. So when Satan comes along and tempts her and says, did God really say that? Mm. I know Adam said he did, but do you think he did? I mean, why would he? It's beautiful. Look at that. It's pleasant to the eye. It's, and it, it'll make you wise. Did you know that? Yeah, you'll know good from evil when you're... So, so the temp, the, Eve has a situation where she has to not only believe, the, as it were in this case, the gospel is reported to her, but the person who reports it. Is Timothy, who is Paul's representative, he's left him there, is Timothy truly reporting accurately the word of the Lord? So you have a situation where, and apparently it was a, a group of women in particular in this case, and as I said, the city is, is quite the city for, for uh, all kinds of disruption of the family. By the way, the um, tradition says Timothy will be killed during a festival to Artemis. That's how he died wow. in one of these festivals um, in, in Ephesus. Um, so anyway, Timothy, he, he's, he, he says, at, he's saying to the women, basically, just as 
Eve had to believe Adam and trust that he was bringing a right report. So do you. You have to trust Timothy and me. That the gospel we're teaching you is from the Lord. Because I heard it from the Lord. I didn't get it. I didn't just learn it from man. I'm telling you, this is the truth. Mm -hmm. You must believe that. It was, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being fell into transgression because she wouldn't listen to the report that was given. Now, he's talking about himself as an apostle. Mm. This isn't a man-woman thing. In other words, this isn't true that, that uh, all women have to listen to men. He's asking them to listen to him, the apostle, and his apostolic representative, who is Timothy, who he's left in place and who's preaching his gospel. And he's asking them to believe that. So I think there is absolutely a, Paul's argument is a very rabbinical. Remember, the man is completely steeped in the Bible. This is his, this, so he's arguing from that, you have to trust Timothy and me, just as Eve had to trust Adam in his report of what God said. Mm -hmm. Or you'll be deceived, as she was. Um, and then, by the way, I'll just, I, I've just been, I've been sort of pondering verse 15. Isn't that sort of a, what's that one doing there? Um, <laughs> I, was, women, I have the question down here. Yeah. Okay. It'll be perceived through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. I actually think this is, this is actually reinforcing the point. Who, what was the temple that I said was in the middle of the city of Ephesus? It's the temple to Artemis. Artemis. Artemis is the ancient goddess that was there. And then the Greek goddess Diana sort of gets tacked onto it. She's the huntress. Artemis is the goddess of fertility. And so down the front of this huge statue, this 50-foot statue within the temple, is all these, uh, these uh, fetuses. You've got animal fetuses, human fetuses. And so childbirth is her thing. Mm. And so somehow I think we're getting that blended in. And Paul is saying, I don't know how it is, but this is very pastoral again. And he's saying, you don't need her or whatever this group is teaching you, because somebody's teaching something. He says, if you will simply walk with the Lord in faith, love, and sanctity and self-restraint, God will preserve you through childbirth. You don't need Artemis, mm. or what? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure, the fact that that's the center of things on on childbirth. I mean, that's a whole whole big deal. Wow. Somehow these women, they, again, it's pastoral, so it looks like it's crazy, but it's not. In the context, Timothy totally knows what he means. That's right. You and I are having to now do our research to go. What did Timothy hear? Mm -hmm. Why did he say that? And, and I've been looking at it, and was, when I got into it, I began to see what Ephesus was all about. And, I, and I've actually read some others who have commented on this very thing. It's not just me. Ephesus, that's very, almost certainly, in my mind, a, a, a remark being made, because actually in, you have the passage goes on in Genesis, where, the, where there's, the Lord says, there'll be sorrow in your, in your childbirth. But, the Lord, but Paul says, no, you'll be preserved. Don't don't you turn to this other stuff. You walk with him. The Lord will preserve you. Just walk in self-restraint and, and in faith and in love. And you'll be fine. He'll be with you. Amen. That's powerful. 
I think a lot of people haven't considered just half of what you just said. Half. If we could consider half of what was just talked about, it would it would at minimum lead us to park this conversation uh, for a season without saying women women can't have authority over men. Again, one of the big takeaways for some people watching this or listening, in my mind, is when you're reading a pastoral epistle, when you're reading something that is deeply contextual, and you know Paul is talking to Timothy or Corinth, and you say, the women, you don't, you don't want to impose all women when he's specifically bringing up a scenario that has to do with women or men, it doesn't necessarily translate for every person that is a male or every person that is a female. And that should mean, to, to me, I just wanted to highlight, once again, that's a huge takeaway. And even with this final verse in verse 15, the context of Artemis or Diana, if a person doesn't realize in Ephesus, what's really going on, what Paul's dealing with, he's lost confidence of his calling, he's being overtaken by those that speak the loudest, those that seem the most eloquent. They don't realize what Paul is trying to do in restore the confidence of this young pastor in a wicked city where people have still pagan ideas, and they're coming to the church with that. You're just, We're just missing—not only are we missing what's being said— but we're also missing what can be extrapolated for us today from it, right? I mean, the the Bible study that we use is, what does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? Or observation, interpretation, application. If we don't have the right interpretation, we're never going to have the right application. And so you're not ex- we're not extrapolating right principles because our interpretation is often wrong, and we've just sort of shown all of that. And uh, I want to make one comment, and then I want to kick it actually— First, First Timothy chapter three, but you just got to pause, Pastor Steve. Can we just? For, I, I want an amen from anybody out there watching and listening. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly, discreetly. No braided hair, no gold, no pearls, no costly garments. I mean, nobody ever stops there and starts to talk about the theology of gold and pearls and braided hair. You know, I would have stopped my wife today and said, Bridget. Uh, broken jaw or she has a broken jaw right now, and it's all it's wired shut. Broken jaw or not, you got you cannot have that braided hair. Okay, there's just it's just like we automatically accept that was contextual, but then the next thing it's like we we jump to this idea of like, but you need to receive quietly with all submissiveness, and you can never exercise authority over a man. It's just an amazing thing where. We shoo away the stuff that we think doesn't apply today, because that that he couldn't have he couldn't mean that for all generations for all time. But the stuff that would silence a woman's ministry for thousands of years that women couldn't we're easily going to grab a hold of that and say, well, but that one right there, that one's real clear. It doesn't cause people to pause. And if I could just be really candid. When I came to Christ, you know, I, I, I went to a, a, a certain kind of church. It was, a, it was a fundamental Baptist church at the time. Not all Baptists are the same, but I went to a fundamental Baptist church, and they taught a literal version of this. So women couldn't be 
in any ministry roles whatsoever, any form of leadership, or ever have authority over a man in any context, except little men. You know, obviously they could be back in the children's ministry and they could teach little men. They just couldn't teach big men. <laughs> so, or they could, occasionally there would be an announcement given if they were giving a gift to a pastor. I was only there for about eight months. And then I moved to a Pentecostal church that was more egalitarian. Um, I never heard this taught in any other form. And so I would you know, study a lot. And a lot of the commentaries are written by people who have Reformed theology. And I don't know if people realize that, but in John Wimber's book called Power Healing, in the first 15 chapters, he makes a case, because he was a professor at, at Fuller Theological Seminary, which is where you you went uh, back, in the, back in the day, and he makes the comment that first-year seminarians read, you know, tens of thousands of pages, 20-something books, but 95% of them are all written by certain types of theologians that don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, so they're cessationists or practical cessationists, and they're all complementarians. So even people that are training for ministry are reading automatically from the perspective yes. that already dismisses women. And if we don't think that's affected our interpretation, we would be wrong. And so when you're sharing what you're sharing, um, I actually had to dig real deep and go really far to find what we're talking about, which is basically a more robust context that seems reasonable, actually, as we're talking it out, but it's unreasonable in contrast to the amount of, de of devoted commentary that there is out there. Perhaps 90% of the commentaries are written by these people who already have pre-decided that this is what it says. So you just will not hear anything different. And if anybody's out there listening today and you're wondering why this might seem so new, or maybe you just feel like this is a stretch, it's actually not. You just don't realize, and neither did I for about half of my Christian life, that what we're up against is the overwhelming majority of the theologians of the past, or at least the prominent ones, the ones that you're going to find on Logos software and others, are already in this perspective. And now with the increase of Pentecostalism and Pentecostal theologians, we're finding that it's starting to balance out because we're digging deeper on these issues, which would dismiss all women from having leadership and ministry and pastoral ability as God would anoint them. We're, we're digging deeper into these things, which I'm, I'm excited about. But I just wanted to put that out there that I had to dig so deep to come to terms with this, where I shifted from a soft complementarian over to believing that women are anointed and appointed by God and gifted by God and can be used by Him. And so it's, it's, I hope that people listening to us today and, and what you just laid out, I'm trying to highlight the fact that it is an aha moment. It really is a big deal, and it really is reasonable. And that's the best word that I can come up with. It's reasonable to look at this and walk through it contextually like we just like we just did because all of the complementarian commentaries that I've read hardly ever deal with even the, the those those nuances that we that you just discussed and you did it so beautifully in in a summary in, in like 10 minutes. I don't first of all I don't know how you did that, but you did it. Amen. And I love you for it. <laughs> but if I, so oh. I'm not trying to pay homage. I'm just saying like it's a it's a for me, when I go backwards and I go, it took me 10 years to discover that. And I didn't know the most of the commentaries I was, re I, I was reading, they, they, would, they wouldn't even give credence or homage. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't give any time 
to looking at it from a different perspective. And now people are being forced to, and that's going to balance it out. So just you just did us a service, Pastor Steve. That's all I'm saying. Now, I, I want to wrap up our, our time together by maybe just in a simple way, uh, addressing 1 Timothy 3. And here's, here's, where I, here's what I would like to ask you. This is the qualifications of an overseer. Uh, the first part of it, if I if I were to just sort of accurately lay it out here, the first is verse one, First Timothy chapter three, verse one to uh, to seven, deals with the um, specifically the qualifications of an overseer, um, pastor, or let's just use the word elder. That's the word that we use today, but it says overseer. Verses eight through thirteen speak to the deacon of the church. And so the reason that I'm bringing this up is because it is part of the conversation in that some people will say, okay, fine. Uh, I think women can minister in the church. I think women can teach. I don't think First Timothy chapter 2 means that women can never teach, because I, I agree with the, uh, the overview that you guys just gave. But women cannot be lead pastors, okay, because they cannot be overseers. So they'll apply what we just shared to 1 Timothy 2. But then when you jump to 1 Timothy 3, you see the qualifications of an elder. They say it's a trustworthy statement. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. If any man aspires to any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, husband of one temperate, prudent, then it goes on. So what I've heard over, over the years and, and used to feel this way is that it's he, him, man, husband of one wife. These are the qualifications of an elder. A woman, therefore, cannot be an elder. Now, it doesn't say that a woman can't be an elder. It just doesn't speak about a woman in any context at all as though there were an allowance for it. But if you go to verse 8 through 13, it seems to say, and some churches will accept that deacons can be women, because in verse 11 it says, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips. Um, and so it, it seems to say that a woman could be a deacon. They've I've, Many churches have made allowance for that. Um, but here's my question for you. As we look at that, just sort of an overview, knowing it's a pastoral epistle, how are we to see this in terms of the qualifications of an elder only being male— Looking at the deacon, it seems like women can be added to that, just at face value, but knowing there's more than face value, knowing that what is Paul saying here, and is he dismissing a woman from being an overseer of any kind? Going back to then 1 Timothy 2, I would have it a woman not exercise authority over a man. We've kind of already dismantled that a bit. But is he now saying that a woman can't be an overseer? Or in our case, can a woman be a lead pastor? How would you respond to that? Because it is a conversation that comes up in the circles that that I where I talk about this in a theological way. Hi. Um, one is when, if you look more broadly, there are references even in the, in the last chapter of Romans and things where Paul greeting people that where he seems to be speaking to um, women and even des describing them or, or the name is a female name as a, as an apostle. Mm -hmm. So there is other references to such things. What, how do I view this? This is, this is church planting. Uh, every, any one of us who's planted churches, and I've had the occasion to more or less do two, 
uh, or have been to the mission field and 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 seen seen the establishing of churches, you start with the culture you're in and you begin to build and you work towards something. And you so you you're moving into situations where you have people who are and, and because huge numbers of Gentiles have poured into these churches, mm. you usually have a, a core of, of, of Jewish people who've got a biblical background. And then you've got this other group that have been, like we just described Ephesus, mm-hmm. uh, they've been worshiping Artemis, which means horrible things. Um, and so there's just complete, so you don't, you don't, you don't go charging in and, and just, um, stuff people in eldership roles or whatever roles you're trying to build a church you're trying to get something going so he's saying to him you I, you need to have your elders and 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 your your deacons um you need to have them and they need to be people of this kind of character and by and large at that point the edu- those with with an education will be the women i mean pardon me the men as time goes on as the church matures as women are taught and trained, just like the men, they will be in a different position. And I think then you said, what, what we're really being called to do is let God be God mm-hmm. and let him raise people up. Let him, and not, we're not trying to quota things. This isn't like, well, we need, we need to start putting more women in here. We need to start watching for the anointing. That's right. We need to watch for the gifting. And if it's a woman, it is. And if it's a man, it is. We need to quit looking with this with this filter that says, "Are you a what's your gender? Um, can can you do this or not? Uh, or what's what's your religious background? Can you do this or not?" We need to just begin to say, "Who is God raising up?" So as time was true, he would. I would suppose that there would be a rising up of, of truly. Women, uh, women elders who knew the, and they knew their Bible. That's what the woman, an elder's got to be apt to teach. Mm-hmm. They've got to be able to teach the word. So if you've had women who've been uh, not not trained, certainly not trained in the Bible, and not, certainly not trained in even maybe in in, in the the Greek culture, uh, any kind of learning, you can't just go putting women in just because of again you can't do you can't do quotas. So he's not, he's not quoting. That's how I think he, I think he's just putting in who he's got mm-hmm. and trying to say, look for people who, 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 who are able to teach. That's going to largely be your, your Jewish converts. Mm-hmm. That's, it's got to be. Uh, maybe you have an, a, somebody, a Gentile who's been um, uh, proselyting. They've been learning in the, Jew, in the Jewish synagogue. You have some of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got to have somebody who knows the Bible. You can't, you can't just take somebody who's been out there Worshiping Dionysus or back, uh, going to the Bacchanals, and and have them suddenly run your church. I mean, any of us who've pastored or planted um, know what that is. Uh, I mean, I goodness, uh, I planted churches. I remember when I, first, I planted one church here down here in Arizona. And my first year, after about a year of it, I said, you know, I I, I need to have a bit. I need to have a council, but. You know, if I were going to appoint a counselor right now, I'd appoint this person and this person, this person, this person. That's what I would do. But I'm not going to. I don't. I think it's too early. I'm going to just wait. A year later, um, one of those that I was going to appoint was in jail. Uh, one of them had left <laughs> his wife and family. And I mean, talk about 
you you have to test and know and and grow and build up. Right. So that's I think just like Jesus, you, the people say, well, why didn't he send out women? What as missionaries traveling? Uh, Matthias went to Ethiopia. Thomas went to India. Um, they all ended up with arrows or spears in them or crushed to death with stuff. You're going to send women out on the highways and the byways with the robbers and the brigands and everything else that's out there. And they're going to go walking from city to city. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding? I mean, there's just a reality here. And, but now as time goes on, and when it, as, it be, as it becomes something where oh, now we have someone like Gladys Aylward who gets a one-way ticket on the Trans-Siberian Railroad, almost gets scouted by the communists, and gets a one-way ticket to China. And, but there was, there was somebody there to help her, and she gets established and then gets her feet in and becomes this fabulous um, missionary and discipler of, in China, mm-hmm. or Lillian Dixon, who gets she got on a tramp steamer and went to in, to um, Egypt, and, and there's there's one little, and then and as as time went on, they they said she had raised up and put through her schools ten thousand wow. children. Oh my gosh, Gamal Abdel Nasser. The, the head of the United, United Arab uh, Republic, remember the UAR, the, the whole the war, the 1967 war, that's him. He, taught, he gave her the highest civilian award that Egypt has to give. She taught. She, she taught their doctors, their lawyers, their professors. She raised them up. She took them out of the Nile where their babies were being thrown to the crocodiles. And she trained them and raised them and schooled them. Talk about an apostle and a teacher. I mean, then it's just it, to not look at that and not to say, to say, well, she couldn't do that. She's a woman. Or to have some sort of horrible racist thinking, wait, well, it's okay if she goes to Egypt. That's just disgraceful. Mm-hmm. That woman took the world by storm and shames most of us. Mm-hmm. And then to disregard that because of her gender is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So I would say, look at the gifting. Let people become who God is making them. Right. Men and women, we need an army here. Do we, we all realize we're losing this battle right now? Do we, all, at least in the West, not everywhere. But do we realize that we need to get on our horse and ride? We need, we need every soldier, we need every person who's full of the Spirit and knows Jesus to be doing everything they're gifted and called to do and quit Amen. disregarding people because of these categories. Amen. That's powerful. I, I wanted to add just that uh, I don't know if everybody's watched Sheep Among Wolves. Uh, it's for free on YouTube. And yeah. it cro- chronicles the movement, the, the Christ-centered, gospel-centered movement um, in Iran. And one of the things as I was watching it that I noticed very clearly was the majority of the pastors in Iran are all women. One of the fastest growing movements yes. right now in the world is happening in a Muslim country, largely, uh, predominantly pastored by women. The same thing is happening in China, in the underground churches. 
what I've noticed is in, in the research that I've done is many of these churches are being pastored by women, the underground churches, the official ones not so much at all, uh, primarily. But it, it's an amazing thing when you actually look out there and, and you see that God is using women profoundly, powerfully in all of these settings, apostolically, pastorally, prophetically, evangelistically, and as teachers. And, and as I look at this passage, and I see it as a, in a missional sense, Paul is establishing the church in a highly suppressive culture that wouldn't accept certain things, that wouldn't allow certain things, and yet even in the middle of verses 8 through 13, people, I think, just don't realize how revolutionary it was for him to say, because we believe in essential equality with women, we're going to put them even in as deacons as we establish the church, and it just morphed and grew, and it became more as the mission of Jesus continues. And that's how I've seen this, and I've explained that to other people, is that don't realize how revolutionary it was for Jesus to have women in that cohort, and Paul to have women as a part of church planting, and to address them in Romans, and on and on. And I've pointed out to my friends who are more on that complementarian side, sort of dismissing the leadership, pastoral roles, and anointing of women, I've said, I guarantee that your mind has just dismissed all passages related to women. You don't even see them. And that's what happens when you get into that theological think tank. You don't even see the revolution that has happened because the mission is bigger and it requires all. And that's my challenge to my complementarian brothers, is that for them it's a secondary issue or even a non-issue, but to me it's not a non-issue. It's an important issue because the mission is important. And like you said, we need every gift, we need every anointing, we need every credible ministry from every man, woman, and even child. We even need young people. We need old, and we need young, and we need yes. everybody in between to do everything that God has called them to do. And that's the significance to me of this conversation. It's not about proving a theological point, although that the, the theology of it is, is very important, but it is also really, at the end of the day, about we need, every, we need all, all hands on deck right now. We, we need all hands on deck. And so I just think that this will help a lot of people um, as, as, we, as we look at this. And I believe it's it really, we are in a, a sacred time uh, to put all people on the field, not as a quota. You know, we don't believe in tokenism, like, hey, let's get more women doing ministry because there's less or more of this or more of that. But I think it's a time to be observant to the anointing and the gifting of God. Yes. And so share with us just a final thought as we close out um, our podcast today, just speaking to men or women or pastors or whoever, I just would love to have you just take a few minutes and just encourage us, just speak to us about what we can do in, in taking next steps, not in try to emphasize or overemphasize, but just the allowance of what God wants to do. So just encourage us as we close. I, I think if there was anything that I think really we need to focus on in this season is, is, the, is the discipling of children. Mm. If I, I read uh, someone who once said, if we will watch children, she was talking to parents. She said, just watch for the clues that that child gives off as to who God has made him or her. And God forms us. So there's a whole thing in, in, our, in our mother's womb. That's what Psalm 139 is about. He's formed from ministry. Uh, David is not talking about how he looks or something like that. He says, you formed me. I'm wonderfully and fearfully made. 
You formed me in my mother's womb, knowing I was to be the king, knowing, knowing that I was to be a warrior. So you wove those things into me while I was in my mom. And you did all that. Well, those things are there. So if we begin to turn our attention uh, and, and really take it seriously, the, the raising up of children so that they know the word of God, so they, they're, when, as they're ready, they're receiving Christ, not forcing it on them, mm-hmm. but allowing, just wooing them and letting those children uh, hear, know the gospel. And when, it, when they're ready, receive Christ, ministering the baptism of the Holy Spirit to them. You know, you mentioned how how these uh, so much of our literature, ninety percent of our literature, must at least must be uh, come from out of this Calvinistic, uh, what they would call the Reformed background. There's a lot of the good truths in the Reformed sure. movement. I'm, I'm Reformed in many ways, yes. but boy, I'm not predestinational. And and some of those stuff is absolutely. If you take the the canons of Tulip, they're all blasphemous, and they are taught. I you see my life, some of my library behind me. Um, I, I, there are tons of that kind of stuff. There's three things these books hammer. All of them. They hammer tongues. They are not, these, we shouldn't be doing these gifts today. Women in ministry. I mean, and they'll bring it up in the most odd places, places that have no connection with it, and they'll hammer it. And the other's predestination. Every opportunity they can, they'll jump on that thing and bang that, that symbol. Uh, see, they're predestined which just guts evangelism. If we follow just the books, I would suggest we, we, we read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Really read it. Get, look at it. Read it. Fill ourselves with it. What it will tell us is that God, we are in a new season in which God has poured out his spirit on men and women, young and old, and he's raising up an army. See, Isaiah 54 Follows Isaiah fifty three. Isaiah fifty three is the is the is where the Messiah comes and dies for our sins and rises again, and it says he'll see his he'll see his reward if he will give himself as an offering. He'll mm-hmm. see it. Isaiah fifty four opens up the next verse opens up and says, "Lengthen your tent pegs and and uh, open, stretch out your curtains for the barren one who's born no children." Mm. will spread out on the left and on the right. It begins to say that a great harvest of children, of, of new souls is coming. Mm. Barren Israel now will become a huge family because Messiah has come. Jesus brought a new season. Now, men and women, young and old, if we let them rise up in who they are, how he's formed them, some are, not everybody's a leader or a teacher or a pastor, for heaven's sakes, but some are, whether it's men or women. Let's let them just become what they are. Watch Amen. for them. In other words, I'm talking about an organic process of letting it grow and rise, not, as you said so well, somehow, well, we need we need more women in here, so stick a woman there and a woman there and follow, I don't know, just find a woman and put her in there. That's that's a horrible process for anything, mm-hmm. for anything you do, whether putting men in there or, or anything. You don't quota. Don't look. Don't look with your spiritual eyes at who the person is. Amen. So we have to be raising them up deliberately for, as for the children. We have to be nurturing them, getting them full of the Holy Spirit, teaching them the word and then lovingly watching for the clues they give off as to how God has formed that child and that young person as they rise up and then encouraging them and helping them step into their we're raising an army amen we're trying to raise an army 
And we need every hands on deck. We need our all of our soldiers mm-hmm. in this season. That's right. So you mentioned Iran. I'll close with this. They're women. And they're also Pentecostal women. Mm-hmm. If you listen to that, the, the, the Sheep Among Wolves, the part two, you listen to the women's talk, they'll say, if we go out the door, we could be murdered, raped. You know, if they catch us preaching the gospel, we're, we're just in a terrible situation. She said, so why do we do, what do we do? We say, Holy Spirit, lead me. Show me where I belong. Mm. Show me to the person. Lead me to the person of the peace. And they follow the Spirit. These are Spirit-led, Pentecostal women who know how to follow the Lord mm. and are powerfully, as you said, it is the fastest-growing church right now in the world, mm-hmm. in the most one of the most repressive regimes in the world. It's amazing. And we're just letting the people move in their anointing. So I'll stop. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Steve, thank you. I'm encouraged, and I know we have many that are encouraged watching this today, both men and women, both young and old, and I think it's a blessing. And so thank you for joining me for these two podcasts. Uh, I pray that clarity comes. I pray that people were further discipled in the scriptures and really encouraged to go deeper. If anything happens as a result of this and people maybe felt like, hey, I already believe this about women in leadership or women in ministry. I think there was a challenge that's gone out to go deeper into the scriptures. And as we do, God teaches us and transforms us all the more. So thank you for joining us. I know you're going to come back again. I look forward to that. Uh, But let me close by prayer. And, uh, and, then we'll, we'll, and then I'll share um, a final thought. Father, thank you for this conversation. Thank you for your word that gives clarity. Thank you for the exhortation that we need all hands on deck. We need everyone to be a part of what you're doing. And Lord, you're calling men and women, you're calling young and old to come alongside the greatest mission on this on planet earth with the greatest message that we will ever know the gospel of the lord jesus we pray father for your anointing we pray for the baptism with the holy spirit we pray that you would empower us and send us out to do you your work in these last days we thank you in jesus name amen well hey god bless you everybody thank you for joining us here on conversations with ben dixon remember you can always go to youtube ignite global ministries or you can look us up on everywhere the audio podcasts are found just look up conversations with ben dixon and we'll see you next time god bless you Thank you.